This is The Way We Connect, exploring the way we date, relate, and communicate. I'm Gwyneth Jones, or Gwen. When I first moved from a small Welsh village to the big city, Manchester, I started to feel something weird was going on inside me. I felt more anxious, depressed, disconnected. I thought it was just because I was away from my family for the first time. But after I went home to visit Wales again, I realised that I was missing nature. I grew up playing in fields, streams, hills, climbing trees. From my house, you could see the sea and the surrounding mountains. I was so spoiled and I had had no idea. And now, suddenly surrounded by industry and polluted air, I was choking. I'd never before realised how important it was for me to be in the middle of a big, empty space in nature, to be able to sing loudly with nobody hearing me, to see the clear night sky and the blanket of stars that was so visible from my parents' garden, to breathe fresh air. Years later, while studying positive psychology, I came back to this idea that spending time in nature, connecting to nature, was a vital part of who we are. And yet the literature on happiness rarely mentioned it. It was there on my master's course that I connected with Christina. We bonded over being the only people on our course that considered that happiness wasn't all about writing gratitude lists, but also about living in harmony with the earth. After all, we evolved as a part of nature, and it only makes sense that when we're disconnected from the environment that we grew to be a part of, we may feel unhappy. In his book Last Child in the Woods, Richard Love coined the term nature deficit disorder, to describe those who experience mental or physical symptoms due to a disconnection from nature. A study came out last year that suggested that children spend twice as long staring at screens every day as looking outside, but I fear the reality may be even worse. According to some studies, we spend up to 95% of our time indoors, and those of us with computer-based jobs will not be surprised to hear that many of us spend 10-12 to 12 hours a day at least staring at screens. That's your Facebook bathroom break, getting home and watching TV after a long day of staring at your work computer, waking up and scrolling through the news on your phone. How much time do we actually spend outside, connecting with nature, remembering what we actually are? And yet study after study shows that we're happier, calmer, more creative, kinder and healthier when we spend time with nature. In fact, my master's thesis focused on how spending just 30 minutes a day in nature helped people to feel happier and to feel like they had more meaning in their lives. Today, Christina has really stepped into her own as a healer. She helps people to connect not only with nature, but with themselves and with each other, through breathwork, coaching, and ceremonies. I caught up with her to see what she's doing these days. So, hi. Hello. So, can you introduce yourself a little for us first? Absolutely. My name is Christina Ishevaria. I am a transformational mentor, I do breathwork healing, and I hold ceremonies and events for people to come together and connect, and I do all kinds of different things, and I love uh, nature, and nature is one of my biggest inspirations in all of the work I do. Great. So there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about with you, really. <laughs> but maybe we can start with how we actually met each other and that connection to nature. Do you want to talk a bit about yeah, how you came to where you are today through that? Sure. Yeah. So we met in grad school in London and we were studying positive psychology, which for me, I was really drawn to that because 
honestly, I was interested in my own personal healing and transformation. Uh, I was on a path of really wanting to know how to actually like be happy and enjoy my life because I really experienced depression and anxiety and just feeling like an almost like an emptiness inside for so much of my life. And I just knew I was searching for something so much more. And so positive psychology really drew me in because it was a way to explore those themes and to actually empower myself to help others as well. So we were studying positive psychology and one day I was researching for a paper that we were writing and I came across the concept or the practice of eco-psychology and eco-therapy. And at this moment when I was researching, I was really in need of exactly that. I was spending a lot of time inside in my little flats in the middle of the city. And of course, it's really cold in London and I'm from Florida. <laughs> so I was feeling a little bit of that seasonal depression and loneliness and isolation. And I read the word ecotherapy and my whole being just lit up. And it was like I found something so profound and I began going down the rabbit hole <laughs> of what that is and how to do it. So I began starting from a very basic practice of just literally going outside and spending time outside, like sitting on a park bench and just being there, not doing anything else except for like breathing and being outside. Then I began going to a really beautiful place called Hampstead Heath in London and taking walks for hours and going into the woods and lying down on the grass and just beginning to connect with the earth like how I did when I was a child because I grew up always feeling so fascinated by the natural world and like there was so much wonder and magic and of course that kind of got forgotten as I grew up and began my professional pursuits and all of that. So it was like a remembering of not only how I felt as a child, but how I felt as like a human being, like how we are supposed to feel connected to nature and connected to our environment. And that our health is so connected to our feelings of being part of nature, that we are nature and finding a sense of belonging and connection simply through knowing that we belong to the earth and that we are her and that she is us. And re-establishing that connection was an absolute rapid expansion of my consciousness from then forward. Uh, just the amount of healing I received and clarity and inspiration that came from connecting with the earth moved me forward in really profound ways. And I actually wrote my dissertation on ecotherapy and um, connection to nature and how it influences our behavior. Yeah, and that's when we started talking about nature, right? Because I remember we seemed to be maybe the only two people on our course who really were asking, well, you know, how does nature impact happiness and well-being, right? Because mm, yeah. they were talking about the mysteries of happiness and well-being, yet there was nothing about connection to nature or spending time in nature. 
And it just seems so obvious to me now that that is like the missing piece. And it was hard to find literature on that. Like there was very, there was like a couple of researchers who had, who had quite a body of work, but it was very hard to find materials to create this dissertation because I was like shocked. Like how is no one making this connection that being connected to nature and like we really got into natural foods and all of the ways that nature is impacting our health, like that wasn't really part of it. So uh, being able to add to that body of work and to bring that into our cohort, it felt like we were there <laughs> for a very important reason to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed that our lecturers have started mentioning it in their books now, so... <laughs> I think we can take some credit for bringing that to their attention, maybe. Yes, and, like, maybe it's so – I want to say, like, it's so obvious that people just, like, don't think to include it. But then again, I really think that we're returning to this connection, and because it's so primal to who we are, we we think that there has to be something else rather than going back to this most basic foundational aspect of human beings and fostering that. I think we're always searching for like the next thing and like humans are always looking for this like technology to advance and all these new techniques to increase our well-being when the most obvious answer is like go lay outside on the grass and breathe and how deeply healing that is for our nervous systems and for our mental and emotional health. Yeah, and I found I did find quite a lot of literature in the end. It just didn't come from positive psychology, right? There was um Right. Um, it was like eco psychology and like humanistic and like there was other areas, but not in positive psychology. Yeah, exactly. So so for those people who maybe this idea is new for them, could you give a sort of brief summary of what all the literature you found was saying? Because I guess, you know, it all points in one pretty clear direction. Totally. So one big aspect of the the theme is that we are nature, that nature is not something that is separate from us, that we are nature. And by simply remembering that basic aspect of our humanity, how that fosters a sense of interconnectedness with all of life, how it can actually decrease our feelings of isolation and disconnection, which I'm sure I know that you understand because I've seen you post things about healing disconnection. And I know this podcast is about connection. So basically that just connecting with the most primal aspect of ourselves as nature can lead us into this interpersonal connection with all of life. Um, so this connection can foster attitudes of wanting to act in sustainable ways, wanting to protect the earth wanting to be a steward of the earth and of our fellow human beings and increasing compassion, com increasing empathy and increasing well-being on all levels. Um, and there's also a very spiritual and mystical connection that can arise from all of this as well, which is definitely a big aspect of my own journey in that connecting to nature in this way open me up to profound spiritual awakening. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, there was some literature on this. They used uh, some terms like spiritual meaning or I think 
transcendental experiences, that kind of thing, right? So yes, exactly. Peak experiences, flow states, transcendent states, all of these. Um, like if you climb a mountain and you look over this beautiful view, you you have this experience of total awe and wonder and just like connection to something greater that is immensely healing to people that is such a meaning giving experience and you know more people had access to that or understood how healing that was that might be considered more of a life giving activity to to prescribe or to recommend as ways to reconnect to our health so since you had that kind of awakening during the master's course, uh, can you tell me a bit more about your journey up to where you are now? Because you're doing so many things now that I've been a little bit out of touch with. So tell me more about that. So after grad school, I moved home to Florida and I worked for a while. And honestly, I felt such a deep call to like rewild myself, like to be in nature. And so I moved to a farm for many months. And I lived on a farm and spent almost all my time outside and had profound healing happen, eating from the earth, eating organic, bathing in waterfalls, uh, hiking every day after I would work on the farm and meditating and really just changing my lifestyle in profound ways to support my health and my spiritual connection. That was really the main thing that blossomed during that time was that sense of interconnectedness and receiving messages from the earth and receiving guidance from nature on how to move forward. So after I did that beautiful stint out in North Carolina, I began working in St. Petersburg, Florida at a mental health company. So I really deepened into being in the world of mental health. So that was beautiful. And I really felt like I could use my psychology background to support that mission. But I just knew that there was always something within me that was going to guide people that was going to, you know, we had begun our coaching journeys together. And you had already been coaching and I just was terrified to do it. But I knew it was something I was supposed to do. So I actually became a health coach and began working with people and began to get over my fears of using these gifts to help people. And I really began with a holistic well-being kind of service and guidance. And I just got the call to leave that job that I was in. So I pursued my business and began using other healing modalities like breathwork, which is, oh, it's so beautiful. It's a way to actually enter into an altered state of consciousness, into more of like a shamanic state to really connect to more of yourself and to allow stagnant emotions, to allow old beliefs and old patterns to be cleared from the nervous system. So I began incorporating breathwork with more of like a psycho-spiritual approach, you know, really looking at the spiritual level as encompassing all the other levels, the physical, mental, emotional, all the energetic, all the aspects of who we are, soul level, and began relating to people in that way, which is very natural to me. I just connect very soulfully to people and I feel like I have some gifts of, of guiding in that way. So all of it just began to unfold really 
beautifully. And I would say now one of my biggest focuses is creating in-person experiences for people to come together and to feel connected and to feel like they're part of a community and how healing it is to be in these gatherings, you know, like humans have been doing for thousands of years, actually coming together and connecting to something sacred. So I use plant medicines. I use tea. Um, I have a friend who serves cacao and we get together and we connect with the earth through these medicines and we connect to ourselves and we connect to source all together. And it's really powerful. Uh, so can you tell me a bit more about the, I guess, these kind of ceremonies that you organize? How did that start? And I don't know, tell me yeah, what happened. Yeah, so I serve tea, which is Camellia sinensis. It is tea from actual tea trees in these high, high mountains um, of Taiwan and China and Japan and other places, mostly in Asia, um, where these beautiful ancient trees grow. And really the leaves that we drink, they take on all of the energy of their environment. They take on all the weather. They take on the stars and all of the insects and animals that pass through their environment. And they take in all the nutrients of the earth. So when we're drinking that one little leaf, we are drinking all of nature and we really can feel so connected to these pristine environments that they come from within our own bodies. So I find that this plant medicine in particular can really give us an experience of almost like it's a transcendental or transcendent experience of we are also connected and it gives you that experience of like I am nature, I am the earth and the tea is me and I am the tea. And it can open you up to receive information from the leaf and from source in new ways or just allow your intuition to open up as you relax and connect. So the tea is served in a very beautiful ritual in, a, in silence and there is just such a beauty and a feeling of ancient tradition that permeates the whole experience. You really feel like you might be transported in time as you sit. So that's one of my favorite ways to bring people together. And I do that every morning as part of my practice. Um, and I learned that from my teacher here in St. Petersburg and have just felt so grateful to have been connected with that practice. I love drinking tea outside, <laughs> having a ceremony out in a park near my home. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I hope to bring people out there with me in the fall when it's a little bit cooler. <laughs> so that's tea. And then we have cacao, which is a different energy. And my sister friend, Amelia, she serves cacao and I support her in that. And there's a definite heart opening energy to that. Have you had cacao before? No, I want to say I've had hot chocolate, but I'm guessing it's not really the same thing. So it's like the raw version of that. It's just the plant without anything added to it. And it's very heart opening. It's very much opening to the body and to your senses. And it can allow so much connection to your energy, to your heart. Um, and it can facilitate emotional release if that's what you need. Uh, but just the act of getting everyone together and sharing in that 
in that ceremony, which is also from ancient cultures. Um, and we honor those, those people who allowed us to have these medicines from Central and South America. Bringing people together to have those experiences, people just feel like they can be fully themselves. They feel like they can let go and melt away the masks and melt away the roles that they have to play and just come together in such a connected way. Yeah, in a sort of um, neurobiological way, what do you think it is that has that effect? Do you think it's the actual chemical properties of the drink? Is it the just coming together and the silence or I guess some combination of all those things? There's such an alchemy of all of the elements, right? And definitely, like I know the cacao has a, a chemical component called endondamine. I don't think I'm saying that right. Endondamide, that's probably better. Endondamide. But it basically is like a heart opening property that's chemically in, in like how chocolate makes you feel good. Um, cacao has properties that make you feel good, that make you feel open. And they work in your brain. They they release neurotransmitters. So there is a chemical component to how you feel so, you know, kind of euphoric and, and just really, really good. But I think something that's probably deeper that is that our society is deprived of authentic human connection and being able to provide a space where we go around and we have everyone share like how they're feeling and we open up space to say whatever experience you have is perfect and no one's looking at you like you are free to be you i think having a space that facilitates that is something that people crave and maybe they don't know that that's what they need but they experience it and they're like this is what i've been looking for because as humans we've been gathering for you know for many thousands of years in ceremony in rituals that made us feel like our lives had more meaning like we were connected to something greater than ourselves and that we were connected to each other and we are connected to the earth and i think that's probably the most potent aspect of why these spaces are transformative for people yeah you've really you've touched on the sort of the three strands that I always wanted to to talk about through my coaching which is connection to ourselves connection to others and connection to nature and that's what I try to kind of you know at the moment it's still called green joy it might be called something else later on but those are like the three things I try to talk about the importance of right and I think it's fair to say that we have lost all of those connections in a way, including the connection to ourselves, which might be surprising for people to hear, right? Because of how much people are, I don't know, posting pictures of themselves online or filling in quizzes about themselves, but not really the same. I know. It's like a different kind of connection. It's a connection that happens when you're usually in silence and usually when you are, are in an inward space rather than necessarily an outward space of trying to trying to get people to connect with you just that inward space of being fully with yourself even when it hurts and even when there is resistance and actually becoming so intimate with the self and I think that intimacy is a key ingredient in all of those connections, right? With self, with others, and with nature. Just forming a sense of intimacy, of closeness, of connection, 
And I love that that's all the strands in your work together because I feel like for me, that's the, the medicines. Those are the medicines and that connection that permeates all of them is the most nourishing energy that we can give to our hearts, heart medicine. So what do you think stands in the way between those connections? I think there is, uh, there are systems in place in our society. And I mean, in most Western societies that create disconnection, I mean, just the way people work, people are in cubicles, they're not you know, people are separated. People have to leave their families to go to work. People might come home and be exhausted and not have the energy to get together with people in real life. So they just go on their phones. And we've substituted that in-person connection, which which has a different flavor to it, right? There's just something different about connecting in a space with someone as opposed to virtually and not that virtually isn't a profound way to connect, but there's just something different of actually having community connection. I think people have replaced a lot of that with virtual. And there's a lot of reasons people have done that. And it it also is a good thing that people can connect online if they live somewhere where it's not accessible to come to a ceremony or be a part of a women's circle or something like that. But it's just become so normal to not have face-to-face human connection. So I think that we are, there's a lot of barriers to connect and I aim to decrease those barriers. And I have people coming to ceremonies from an hour away. So it just shows you how if there's a, a space to connect, people will find it. So I encourage anyone who feels called to create spaces to connect, and it can be around whatever you're interested in or whatever you feel called to do as a service to create the space. And you'll be amazed that people will will show up because they crave it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you actually about some of the people who come to your uh, ceremonies and your events. Uh, I guess I want to ask what kind of people do you get? Do you see like some really big transformations along the way? Yes, totally. So right now, we it's probably about 75 to 80% women. And I think this is because women are just, there's more opportunities to connect um, that I've seen for women. More women's circles, moon circles, healing events are targeted towards women. And that just seems to be a theme. But there are men who are showing up and I absolutely encourage it and I love it when men come into the space because they need connection as much as anyone. They need a place to be themselves, to melt away what they think it means to be a man and just to connect to a deep sense of their own inner worlds and emotions and a sense of, you know, being connected to source. So creating spaces for all genders, all gender expressions to gather is definitely a vision of mine to have as many men show up as women if that ends up happening but people who who are attracted to ceremonies right now we have quite a few women who they've never done anything like that before and they would show up to their first ceremony and they come back every month now or every every time we do a ceremony because they're like I have found something that makes me feel something maybe I've never felt before or every time I come I receive so much and I feel so nourished And 
so being able to provide a space for people who like really have no idea what they're getting into or like what this is, who just feel the call and come, that's been really nourishing. And there's also women who are regularly doing ceremony on their own and in circle and and just having them continue their practice with us is really amazing too. So all ages, all walks of life. And I think the youngest person was like 20 that we've had and the oldest in their 50s. So, and we welcome all ages, all expressions and hope to create a diverse experience. Yeah, I feel like it's funny that it's such a simple thing, right? Like having time to reflect, listening to each other deeply and not, you know, I imagine if you do a kind of sharing circle the idea is that you can't interrupt the person who's speaking exactly you are witnessing and we ask everyone to practice active listening so as someone speaking don't be thinking about what you're going to say give the person your full attention and how rare is it that we get full attention and witnessing to just share and not be given advice or not to be interrupted just to share yeah, uh, it's really powerful. It is. Actually, I want to share with you something which is last night. I hosted my first sharing circle here in Prague. Uh, yeah, and I actually had a specific topic about it, which I want to move towards with you as well now. Um, it was about climate related anxiety and grief because I wanted to hold a space for people who, you know, have been feeling a lot of these difficult emotions surrounding climate issues and who maybe didn't feel like you know they were really being heard and I wanted to create a space where they could just come and and share and yeah it was really that's so powerful yeah it was great we just we had six people and yeah that kind of balance I guess 60% women and 40% men one one of the men there found it a little difficult not to give advice I had to kind of stop him a couple times you know because the I think especially maybe for men they're taught that they need to fix everything they need to always you know right yes there's such programming of like you got to be the fixer you have to have the solution exactly and so you have to kind of teach them like no people just you know in this situation people just want to be heard and he was a little bit like but but that's not going to be helpful (laughs) what's the point of sharing our feelings you know (laughs) But um, I opened it up to the group and I asked, well, what do you think? Do you want to hear advice? And everybody said, no, we don't want to hear advice right now. We just want to. They just want to be seen and heard. So it was it was really powerful, I think. And um, yeah, I think everyone was really grateful to just have that space and to also hear each other and to realize that they weren't alone in the way they were feeling. Because that topic especially can imbue a sense of deep hopelessness and helplessness of like there is nothing I can do like the world is crumbling and I'm just one person what can I do I I'm helpless and it can create a real sense of shutdown and feeling like it you can't talk to anyone so actually and I feel like what you're doing is creating a, a bigger movement beyond just your circle of people getting together and talking about these real issues that create real distress for people and being part of a a solution by simply having conversations yeah exactly exactly and you know it was after we shared a lot of these feelings of 
yeah, hopelessness, despair, but also guilt, anger, you know, this, I guess, oscillating between should I just accept it, should I fight it? After that, though, we asked what people were doing to channel those emotions, and it turned out everyone was doing something very proactive, you know? Everyone was getting involved somehow in some kind of activism or self-sustainability. There was a lot of actually you know, positive, hopeful stuff in there as well. Beautiful. So. And that brings me to something I was just talking about with a friend the other day of sacred anger. Of We have all of this judgment around anger and anger is bad and you shouldn't feel angry and it's not positive. But actually anger drives you into action when there's something that you're, you're you care about, right? So rather than just saying like, oh, well, we shouldn't be angry. It's not helping. It's like, how can you channel that sacred anger into taking proactive steps forward? So I love that people are channeling that that deep and powerful sense of emotion into something creative or something that moves us forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, isn't it? We are often told like anger is bad, so we shouldn't feel it. But of course, it has an evolutionary reason for being there. Right. It has a reason that we that we feel it. It's a fuel. It's exactly. a fuel. It might not always be well placed, of course, right? Like we can feel this sense of injustice over something that we really shouldn't. Like, oh, my coffee was too cold. Ah. <laughs> and that's what happens when we don't allow ourselves to feel it. It's like it gets stuffed down and it becomes this ticking time bomb that gets displaced on the nearest barista who used skim milk instead of soy milk. And so it's like the discernment of is this anger helpful right now um or is this something that i need to deal with like in my own space um or it's something i can channel so it's like discerning how to be with your anger work with your anger and be friends with your anger rather than just being like it's all bad stuffing it down not feeling it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well this comes to the connection with yourself part right yeah, so totally absolutely yeah so what I've just been doing um, is emotional intelligence related coaching actually so it's the idea of course of understanding and knowing your emotions but also you know channeling them in a way that's positive for you so yeah maybe tell me a little bit more about how you help people to to know themselves really yeah absolutely I think Working with your emotions is a gateway to deep intimacy with yourself because it requires you to be with yourself. So, so often we go unconscious in emotional expression of like, we just left our bodies and we don't know what we're feeling and it's just muddled and it's confusing and maybe it ends up creating situations that we don't want to be in. Or whatever, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios where, you know, emotions lead us somewhere. But I think that intimacy with your emotions and actually being able to understand that your emotions are holding messages for you, that they are communicating to you through your body and that they are sacred, that they are a part of the spiritual path of evolution and how really feeling deeply opens you up to even more love. 
So feeling anger, feeling sadness, feeling shame, and actually fully feeling it and being with yourself and not numbing out or escaping can actually almost like crack you open. It can actually deepen your ability to feel love and to feel joy. Um, whereas when everything is kind of repressed and you're not letting yourself feel or you're holding back or stuffing it down, I just see it as like your nervous system gets kind of clogged and you get kind of like an armor that doesn't allow you to be fully open to life and fully engaged with life and other people. So I think breath work for me is a big part of this emotional connection and emotional health. It allows people to process emotion without having to think about it. It allows your mind to relax so your body can feel emotion and process emotion without there being a story about why it's coming up. It just, you might feel angry and it's released and then you just feel more free and you don't need to know what you're angry about. You just get to be fully with it in your body and it can kind of train you to be more present with yourself as you move through your life. That sounds really interesting. So it's almost, yeah, I don't know, hacking into your nervous system or something like that. Absolutely. So you're kind of like, as you do this specific breathing pattern, you are stirring up your nervous system. You are kind of stimulating it so that anything that's under the surface, either like subconscious emotions that are stored as as patterns in the body or trauma that was never given a chance to be fully worked through and released somatically or anything that you are just holding onto, it stirs it up so it has the opportunity to move and really be it's like a cleansing. I see it as like a deep cleansing of your emotional and energetic body. So if you're working with somebody who turns out to have very deep trauma that they maybe weren't aware of, can it be also quite dangerous to tap into that if you're not, you know, fully equipped to handle it? So that's a really great question. Um, so when you are training for breathwork, you go, you have extensive training on working with people who have trauma because we all have trauma. Um, and there are people who obviously have more severe trauma than other people. But honestly, if it's in there, if the if the trauma is within you, it's already there. I, I really think that there's nothing to be afraid of because maybe you'll feel some fear or some pain or some anguish as it comes up and out, but ultimately it's coming up and out and it's better to be out and free than to keep it held inside. So I have had experiences where people during breath work are very scared because they're having a memory come up of something that happened to them as a child or, you know, whenever in their life. So there are specific ways that you ground them and you, you know, you walk them through, but ultimately that's something that has already happened. It's not happening again. And I can just let them know that there's nothing to be afraid of because it's being released. You know, you're setting it free. And it's amazing how people feel so much more open in their bodies and so much more free, even if there was an experience of trauma release, especially if. So yes, it can be dangerous if you are not properly trained to support people. And you don't know what's happening and you people are doing it and they re-traumatize themselves because they feel something and they don't have proper guidance. But one of the ways that we allow that to not happen is by being trained and well-versed in the ways trauma 
restored in the body. Yeah, this whole work you're doing, like connecting people to themselves, to each other, to nature, I think it's so important now, right, at this time, because we just need to look around at what's going on, like environmentally, politically, like, do you think this is the result of people not really knowing themselves and not really connecting to these other things? Of course. I mean, yeah, we can see it if I'll use the environment as the example because people don't feel connected to nature and they don't see nature as being an extension of themselves or them actually being, you know, an extension of nature, being her children, then they don't feel a sense of responsibility to take actions that are in favor of the earth. There's just a complete disconnection of like what I do has nothing to do with the earth and what I do has nothing to do with other people. So, and I also think that there's a deep, there's so much deep collective wounding, which I could get super into, but I won't dive deep, but our collective pain is created by our individual pain. So as we as individuals allow ourselves to heal our pain um, and to connect to ourselves and to open our hearts and to connect to source in whatever way that that feels right for you, then we add to the collective healing. So by raising our own consciousness, by connecting to our own souls, we are creating a better world. So I say like anyone who's doing the work to raise their consciousness and to awaken and to heal is in such deep service to all of us. So you've used the term connecting to source a few times. So I want to just ask you how you would define that. I love that question. So this is like we could go so deep into philosophy and different spiritual paths. For me, I grew up religious in a Catholic household, but I never felt really connected to that tradition. So I kind of threw out everything. I was just like, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any higher power for many years. And as I began to connect to nature, actually, I began to feel this sense of there is something so much bigger than me that is the organizing principle of all of this. Like there is an intelligence that permeates all of life that we can connect to and tap into that actually is us. We are a part of that manifest in physical form. So for me, source is really this knowing that there is an energy that is beyond explanation of the human mind that is so great and so vast that it is the ultimate creative power. And ultimately, we are a manifestation of that. And we also are creators as well. So it's looked like connecting to the spirits of nature, the rocks and the plants and the sky and the rain and a shamanic connection to all of these things, just knowing that everything has a spirit um, and being able to work with the spirits of nature. Um, and also connecting to, for me, there is an aspect of the divine feminine, the divine masculine, and these energies that just are within us that we can connect to. So I think it's a big question and I, I encourage people to be on their path of what it feels like to connect with source rather than like what I necessarily think it is, but like how does it feel 
to be connected because it's a feeling. It's a feeling that it might be different for everyone. I'm not anyone else, so I don't know how it feels for them. But it's a feeling of deep connection for me and just feeling so loved and so held and supported. So where do you think we're heading now? Because, you know, I have got into this state where I tend to read a lot of environmental news and I'm in a, you know, I'm pretty concerned about what's happening. And so when we tell people to connect to nature, but nature is currently trying to maybe wipe us off the face of the earth, how can we take this, you know, connection moving forward? Where do you see us going? I think there's an aspect of just being in right relationship. So understanding that we are a part of the cycles of life and death and regeneration, that we are not immune to death, just like a plant is going to die and compost. So are we. And if we die from natural causes because the earth is doing her thing, then we're just a part of that cycle. And I know that that may seem like, okay, yeah, like death, yeah, death is scary, right? You know, we can be scared of death, but we can also know that we are part of this cycle and we are in relationship with it. Um, so I think being in relationship with just this greater knowing that the earth, she's probably going to be fine. Um, humans might not be fine because if we can't rise to the occasion quick enough, then something will happen and maybe life will start again on this planet. But just knowing that we are just a part of this, it's like an experiment, you know, it's an ex life is an experiment of just adapting and doing the best we can to walk tenderly on the earth if we can. But just knowing that we are a part of something so powerful, hum being humbled by the earth, being oh, so humbled by her power and just knowing that as individuals, it's just up to us to make the choice of how we want to be in relationship. If we want to be in relationship that's life-giving or if we choose not to care, just knowing that it's up to us. Yeah, I can imagine on the one hand, you know, a lot of people would not like this answer, right? Because they're like, no, I want to survive and I want to build my underground bunkers. Of course, uh, humans are made to, we want to survive. It's like our deepest, it's our deepest human desire to be alive so of course hearing like well you might not stay alive can be very threatening yeah it's funny because this is exactly the same words i used yesterday in the sharing circle was the idea of human life as an experiment you know that wow yeah that the earth was like well that didn't work so much let's try something different you know <laughs> right yeah we are just you know trying to figure it out as we go and ultimately i think the way forward, it has a very spiritual solution of we all join together and feel connected as one human family and we all decide to start taking care of the earth and connecting to Pachamama uh, as a living being who we share consciousness with. I see that as the solution. So I'm just being that, of sharing a message of the earth is alive, she has a consciousness, we are connected to the consciousness of the earth. And that's the most I can do, I feel like, is being that for myself and sharing that and holding that vision of a world where we feel that. And not to say it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I can do my best to 
to hold that energy. Yeah, I think that's all we can do, isn't it? And I do have this vision that uh, even if we accept that it's too late and that we're not going to make it out, then that we somehow are able to come together and accept that, you know, in a beautiful way, like, wow, what a ride we've had, you know? What a ride. Like, we did pretty good. Like, you know, every every great society, it's not going to be forever like you see the roman society and like the all these empires of the history that felt invincible and they crumbled and it's okay it's okay we are in a constant state of life death and rebirth and it will continue to happen as much as we try to resist it it'll it'll happen and it will unfold the way that we are creating it really not to mention all those other species of humans that don't exist anymore exactly no exactly like i'm all about that of like all these ancient societies that have been wiped out and even like dinosaurs like they were so powerful and you know cosmic events beyond our beyond our even comprehension so it's it's humbling right it's humbling exactly who knows what will come after us right and who knows and even if not you know if we are really connected to the source that's what kind of keeps me going is thinking like, well, nothing in that case really is lost or dies because... I agree. I agree. I hope we can help more people to to see it that way, right? Because one of the counterpoints I've heard is a really interesting term I heard yesterday was hopium. So the idea of like false hope being peddled as an opium to pacify us against our survival. <laughs> Yes, yes. And one thing that's coming up for me right now is just, um, yes, there is a certain level of, well, it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. But I also feel strongly that there are people who are marginalized in our world and who, of course, are more affected than others because of economic imbalances and because of the injustices of toxic aspects of capitalism and who are, who are susceptible to death by climate change more so than others. So I truly feel like as human beings, there are things that we can do to support our fellow human beings who don't have the same access to safety and to leaving somewhere if we had to. And just like that financial injustice and doing what we can to to support causes that allow people to have more access to to not die from climate change because they're poor. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I do think the more we connect with ourselves, with others, with nature, the more we recognize, right, that these people are our brothers and sisters. They're not just this other that we can be behind and be like, well, I'm okay. Exactly. So there are things that we can do. There are things that we can do as people who are educated in the reality of what's happening and to spread that information so that more people can be in touch with what's really happening. And not just to say like, oh, we're all going to die anyway. It's fine. Don't do anything. It's like, no, while we're here, we have a responsibility to take care of each other and to just do, yeah, to do the best that we can. Yeah, it's really nice um, talking to you now. You know, it's been well a few years really since we connected, but I feel like you're mirroring so much of the stuff I've been saying and feeling recently. So that's really... Beautiful. I'm so happy to be a mirror for you. And I feel like we've always had a shared 
mission and a shared vision for our world. So after all these years, it's wonderful to experience how we've both blossomed into making that more of a reality. Well, I hope we can continue to kind of inform and help each other's work from these different sides of the globe as well. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. So thank you so much for talking to me today. I hope to speak to you again in the future. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate uh, this opportunity to have a beautiful conversation. I'll say it again, connecting with ourselves, with others and with nature. After all, I've called this podcast The Way We Connect, and for me, those are the three very important strands of connection that we need to understand. After all, if we're not really connected with ourselves, we don't really understand our own emotions or what's going on inside us, and we might not even understand why we do the things we do sometimes. If we don't connect well with others, then of course our relationships are going to suffer, we might feel lonely, we might feel like nobody understands us and that nobody's got our back. And if we don't connect with the world around us, with nature, then we're probably going to feel that something is missing, something is very strange. Now, I'm not saying we should all go out and live in the forest, but remember that you are living in a body that needs air to breathe, that needs water and food to live. We've evolved to be part of these complex systems and to understand them. And on top of that, our increasing disconnection with nature might be one of the reasons why people are so apathetic towards climate change and destruction. Our home is on fire. The Amazon has been burning, and not just the Amazon, but forests all over the world, forests in Siberia, in the Arctic Circle. Of course, this is not meant to be a partisan or political podcast, but there's not really much partisan about climate change. It just takes a bit of reading up on the science to understand that even if you don't think that humans have caused global warming, we've still caused so much pollution. We've filled the oceans with plastic, we've filled the air with chemicals, and we caused millions of species to go extinct. And we're doing this to the Earth, to the planet that sustains us. What future is there if we raise people in little boxes staring at screens and we never teach them where their food comes from? We never teach them what causes anything to happen, why there's a storm, why it's raining. We don't teach them how to look after their own bodies and minds. And Well, this is a topic I can go on about forever. <laughs> but if my master's research is anything to go by, just spending 30 minutes a day in any kind of green or nature-based space might have a really positive effect. So give it a go. You don't have to be in the middle of a forest. People did have a stronger effect when they were in wild nature, but people still felt an effect when they just went to a park. Other studies have shown that even just looking at pictures of nature, looking at plants can help us to feel happier and to focus better. So let me know. Do you feel that you're disconnected from nature? Do you feel you might have ever had nature deficit disorder? What do you think we can do to connect with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us? Let me know on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can just find The Way We Connect or go to thewaywheconnect.org for the blog. Thank you for listening to The Way We Connect and see you next time.